So if you have your Bibles, I want to take you to a story inside of the Gospel of John. We've been talking about the encounters that Jesus has with people. Jesus meets you right where you're at. Now, we've had a, it's only February 19th, and I don't know if you know this about Odessa. Someone pointed out to me this last, last year that Odessa has mild winters and terrible Februaries. Uh, everything else is kind of mild, and when you get to February, that's when it gets bad. And of course, this last week was 18 degrees one day, and I'm appreciative of the plural of that, 18 degrees. You remember in 2021, we had one degree? Okay, this little California boy did never experience one degree, and that was cold. But we get 18 degrees, and then we uh, get warmer. Most of the time, it's warm, but February is going to give way to March here in just a minute. And after March, you get April, and there's something that happens in our community that might happen inside of your home, uh, in your garage, or in the attic, and you will eventually go through a thing that we call spring cleaning. The first service, I said spring, and everyone said break. <laughs> they were all teachers and parent kids, right? But spring cleaning, that's a different experience, right? So what happens is, and long about November, you get past Thanksgiving of all the things you're thankful for, and then you say you want more things, and then come about December, you pile more things, and you get more things inside of your house, and then you don't know what to do with it because it's so cold outside, so you just let it pile up in a corner, and if you have a garage like mine, it just kind of stacks in the corner. I was at a fundraiser last night for a group, and they had this huge toolbox. Guys, it was bright white. It had to have been at least five and a half, maybe six feet tall. Had all kinds of drawers. And in my house, it might be a little bit like your house. About now, it starts filling up with stuff. And you have really two choices. You can throw stuff away. Well, that would be silly. Or you just find new ways to organize it. Amen. So I saw all these, this toolbox. I thought, hey, Melanie, we could get that. And we could put it inside of our bedroom. And I could use it for drawers. <laughs> And I got shot down so fast, it didn't make no sense to me, but this would make perfect. We could just stack things. And she always says, you have more than you need in toolboxes. Men, there has never been a more untrue statement that's ever been said. <laughs> that's like saying to a woman, you don't need any more candles, or you don't need more plates. No, shoes, that's what it is. Preach, shoes. Men, we need more screwdrivers. We need more wrenches and toolboxes. Can I get an Amen. Men, you need, when you hear me say stuff like that, you've got to help. Okay, so anyway, when it comes to spring, though, you've got to, you start to clean stuff out because it does become cluttered. It does become overwhelming. It does come time where you've just got to get rid of stuff. And if you can imagine, going to this passage, Jesus has been walking into the temple for 30 years you jump into John chapter two, verse 13, and it says that Jesus was there at the temple. You think, well, this is his first trip. No, he's gone every year, multiple times for 30 years. And what he has seen taking place over the last 30 years, it's starting to get congested. It's starting to get distorted and everything is falling apart. So when you stumble onto John chapter two, verse 13, don't think that well, this is his first trip. No, it's been piling up literally for at least 30 years. And so it says there in the text that it was the Passover when Jesus goes to the Jerusalem. And notice he goes up to Jerusalem it's because they always went up to Jerusalem. It's 2,600 feet high. And so they always walked up, but worship works this way when, you're, when you cause your eyes to go up. So they're going up to Jerusalem. So their eyes are going up. And it's not just a, an act of walking up, but it's causing their gaze to turn towards the heavens. That's why they built churches back in the day that were grandiose when you walked in. They were tall and they were really, really high and beautiful. So when you walked into that church, 
you would look up and it would cause your eyes to turn to the heavens. <laughs> we only have a 14-foot ceiling here, so <laughs> really only, it's only 10, really. But that's what he does. He's going to Jerusalem, and he's looking up, and he sees what's happening around. And his frustration point reaches to the top. And so it says there with the thousands of people there. This is, we don't understand Passover uh, because, well, it's, it's not a part of our tradition. But back then, Passover was the biggest feast of the year. And so everybody would come to Jerusalem for Passover and they would camp all outside of Jerusalem and they would be there for seven days and it would be a huge event. We have nothing to compare it to. The closest I can get is if you can just picture our mall and for seven days they camp outside of it all the way through Buffalo Wallow. It's just packed with people everywhere all this whole week. It's just swelled up so full because so many people that have come. In Jerusalem, the place is full. People are everywhere. In the temple complex, this is what Jesus found. People selling oxen, sheep, and doves. And he also found the money changers sitting out there. Now think about that for just a minute because we look at this and think, what's the problem? And we, we kind of know because we know the end of the story. But back then, maybe this evolved. And this might be true for your life. I kind of envisioned something happening way back before Jesus was perhaps even born. Jerusalem is growing. People are more people are there every fest, every time they have a Passover feast. More and more people are coming, and somebody formed a committee. Their committees can't be new to the church, right? So somebody had to form a committee that would figure out how to handle all of these people because when they came to the service, they came to Passover. They just didn't come with a bag. They brought a bull, an ox, a sheep, a lamb of some kind, blemish, unblemished lamb, and then birds of all things. Birds, they brought birds to the temple. All these things come in. And for the first several years of this, okay, this is okay, we can manage this. And then more and more and more. And if you had to walk 97 miles to get here, well, that's a long ways to carry a little sheep. Maybe there's a better way. And so some committee got together and they figured out, I know what we'll do. We'll make it easier for those people coming from the north. And what we'll do is we'll just sell them a bowl We'll sell them some lamb, a lamb or we'll sell them a couple birds. That's a good idea. And I'm sure the first year it went off without a hitch. Everybody probably thought that was a good idea. And so they would just show up with some money to buy whatever animal that they needed. And it was really, if you were wealthy, you would have a bull or an ox. If, if you semi-wealthy, you'd have a lamb. And if you were poor, you would have doves. God made a way for all people to bring their own worship. You're supposed to bring your own sacrifice. And so the second year rolls around, they expand a little bit. Hey, this is good. This is working. More people are coming. Maybe five years into this, they have to get a bigger committee because there's more animals, there's more people, there's more stuff. And so 10 years into this, they now have offices, fax machines, copiers. They have full-time staff. This thing is getting big. And then maybe 15 years into this, they have a whole division for this in the temple. And they have 20 years into this, they've got bulls coming from everywhere and they have all kinds of things. This thing is swelling. It's getting big. 25 years into this, it's now got a whole division and more complexes and someone thinks, you know what? We're running out of space in this temple. We're good. We have to do, we have to rearrange some things. I got an idea. Outside the complex, there's this place called the Court of Gentiles. This is an important court. God has always intended the Gentiles, the nations to come to faith. And so they made room outside where the Gentiles would gather. And so somebody in this committee thought, you know what? Maybe we just some stuff out there in the court of Gentiles. We don't really want them 
here anyway. So let's just go ahead and make some room out there. And so, hey, that's a great idea. Next thing you know, they've got lambs and bulls and birds outside of there. And the Gentiles are having a hard time getting in because got a bunch of bull in the way. It's all right there. And so now, 30 years into this, there's more bulls, there's more sheep. There's, and next thing you know, they got to have money changers. You want to know why they have to have money changers? Because in the committee, it all starts in a committee somewhere, they say, you know, we can't have all of these Gentile coins coming in. There's a lot of coins coming in from all over the world. So we'll just have a way of changing the currency into the temple currency. That's how we'll do that. And so they have money changers out there. So you'd come in with coins from somewhere else, and they would convert it to the coins that the temple would accept. That's a great idea. And then somebody in the committee said, you know what? I see a way that we can make some money on this. Yes, I know what we'll do. We'll charge a fee. It's just a small fee at first. Don't worry about it. It's not that big. It's just a little bit. And then 10 years, 15 years, this becomes significant. It's a huge fee just to get into the room. You got to pay a fee. It's kind of like when you get your utility bill and you go, oh, it's only 12, 6 cents a kilowatt hour. Now back in all the fees. Now you're up to 19 cents. See how it works? It's not new to us or AT&T, Atmos or TXU. It's everywhere. Back then, the fees are becoming overbearing. And the Sadducees are excited about this. They're thrilled to death because they're the ones receiving this windfall. Taxes are low. People aren't giving what they want. And so we'll just fee them to death. And you can see what's taking place. Jesus walks into this and his blood starts to boil. He's watched this for 30 years. Get bigger and bigger, but his time has not come yet. I can imagine him 20 years into this. He's looking to the father saying, can I? And the father says, not yet. 22 years, how about now? Not yet. They just expanded it 25 years. No, not yet. It's getting worse, father. No, not yet. 28 years into this, be patient, but Lord, wait. Finally, the 30th year rolls around. He walks in, look what he does. Jesus sat down and made him a whip. Where did he get the material? I mean, he is the creator, said it in John 1. Maybe he went, and there was a whip. I don't think so. I think what he did is he was out there in the court of Gentiles, and when you have that many animals around, you're going to have extra twine, rope, leather laying around. And so he gathered up some of that, and he crafted a whip. Out of all of that extra material just laying on the ground, I can imagine Jesus. He sees it all. He's fed up. And so he sits down, and he makes himself a whip. And he is going to take care of this today. And there's a little principle here when you're dealing with anger because Jesus is mad. And sometimes that thought, what would Jesus do? Well, sometimes he makes him a whip. <laughs> kind of blows that whole thing out of the water, doesn't it? <laughs> Lord, can I make a whip right now? No, Bob, it's just a red light. You'll be fine. <laughs> sometimes he sits down and makes a whip. And there's a thing here with your anger because we all struggle with anger at some level. It's true. We all have that. We might admit it. We might try to hide it, but we all have a little bit of that anger inside of us. Notice a little principle here. Jesus pushes pause on his anger. The Bible says, be angry and not sin. So you can be angry, not sin. How, the, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, he, he got this down. He, he's not going to sin. You and I wrestle with this. And so one of the things that you can do when you're struggling with anger is that anger is best served cold. When it's hot, that's when you're going to sin. I promise. But if you can serve it up cold, 
you will probably have more success. And so maybe the best idea for you when you're really angry, you want to yell at a kid and hopefully it's yours, but you want to let some, somebody have it, maybe a husband, a wife, or maybe a perfect stranger, I don't know. But what you need to do is just sit down and serve it cold. Find a way to unplug for just a second. Breathe, rest. Jesus stops and he makes a whip. And all I see in that is time. As he takes the time to make that. And maybe that's how you can handle some of your anger. Maybe a little principle there is just give it some time. You also need to know about anger, that when you are angry, it says, do not sin. There's a way to channel that anger outward to where it actually has good. There are some things in your life you need to be angry about. And that's okay. You need to be angry when you see kids who are starving, when families are being broken up, when you see abuse. That needs to cause your blood to curdle just a little bit and you get anger is good. It motivates you to make it right, but you must handle it properly. There are some things we need to be angry about as Christians, as people who are wanting to follow Christ. We need to be angry about that. We need to handle it properly. Best served cold, best done in righteousness, and it has an expiration date. Anger is like a lot of emotions. In your refrigerator, you have a carton of milk. What's on the carton of milk? If you leave it in past the expiration date, what happens to the rest of the fridge? Starts to smell, ruins everything in there. And sometimes if you hold on to some of these emotions, we've talked about this before, anger, grief, bitterness, those things, you hold on to that, you give it home inside of your heart, it'll ruin your life. Everything inside of you, you've got to learn to release that anger. And so, Anger, it's not a bad thing. Jesus does it here. Where it becomes bad is when we have our self-service involved in this, when it wants to become about us. When it's not attached to righteousness. When it comes about what our preferences are, that's when it becomes bad. When it's served hot, that's typically when you're gonna get yourself in trouble. And when you can serve it up the proper time in the proper way, maybe anger will have its due course. This isn't a passage about how to deal with anger, but it's just kind of in there. And so how do we handle some of that anger? So Jesus grabs a whip. I'm sorry, he makes a whip. It's like an Indiana Jones thing, right? So he makes this whip and he drives out everyone. Notice what it says. He drives everyone out of the temple complex with their sheep, their oxen. And then he pours out the money changers, the coins, and he overturns tables. So I can just picture Jesus doing this to the tables. You know, wham, he's just letting things fly. He's getting everything out. And then he's got a whip, wham. Do you think this is like Jesus is being careful? Okay, everybody, it's time to leave. Is that how you read this passage? I don't, not at all. I mean, he's cleaning the house. He is ticked off. He's mad. They are taking what the Lord has given them as a place of worship, as a place of relationship, and they've turned it into a transaction. Money changers, they're making money off of this. It has distorted what God has intended to be a place of connection between God and man. All the symbolism is being covered up. All the useful space that is in there to bring glory to God is distorted with this loud noise of people making money and making money the center point of all of this. And what started off maybe as a good thing has become a terrible thing and it's ruined the experience. And he's headed up to here and he's driving them out. And notice what it says at the very end. He told those who were selling the doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace wasn't intended for this. In the other gospels, they'll put this story at the very, very end. During Passion Week, John puts it at the very, very beginning. And we talked about this in the first service, that there's actually two temple cleansings, one at the beginning 
and one at the end. There's very different experiences in both of this. And the one at the end during the Passion Week, Jesus doesn't make a whip. No mention of the whip. It's kind of a big character in the story, is it not? You would think that the whip would be in both, but it's not. It's just at the very beginning. In the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it has Jesus confronting or being confronted by the religious establishment. That's not here in the first one in John. And so it lends us to the thought that there's actually two temple cleansings, one at the very beginning and one at the end. And it is God in Christ saying to the, the religious leaders, you need to clean up your act. You guys are missing it. You're not seeing what you need to see. It's been completely distorted and completely covered up. You have different accounts of this and leads us all to believe that there's two different temple cleansings, one at the front and one at the end. And what it is speaking to is that God has come in the form of Christ seeking a reformation in the life of his people, not a rebellion, not a get rid of, but we need to clean this up. We need to get rid of all of the things that are distorting this. And his disciples remember this in verse 17. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. This is happens, it's important to see how John structures his gospel. This is a commentary. I don't think the disciples are watching this happen thinking, oh, I think of Psalm 69 right here. Zeal for your house will, will consume me. Now, they're probably, this is happening at the very, very end where they reflect back on this story and said, ah, the zeal for the house consumed him looks back on it, and then you get back into real time. So the Jews in verse 18 say, what sign of authority will you show us for doing these things? Notice it doesn't say, how dare you overturn our tables? You're making a mess out of the place. They say, what's your authority for doing this? They knew what they were doing was wrong. And so they're looking for a technicality to get out of being guilty. Anyone identify with that? But officer, I, I've got to get to the hospital. <laughs> but officer, the sign was in the wrong place. You're looking for a technicality, right? So they're looking for a technicality. What sign of authority do you give us for this? They didn't question what he was doing was right or wrong. They wanted to know if he had the right badge. And so he says to them, it's a cryptic answer. He says to them, destroy this sanctuary and I'll raise it up in three days. Of course, they're going to look at this literally. I would. They'd said, this sanctuary took 46 years to build and will you raise it up in three days? They're looking at it very literally. But what Jesus is always trying to get us to do and them to do is think. But when your mind is distorted and it is cluttered, that's the last thing you have room to do is think. And so Jesus is trying to push them to think about things. They think it's just the temple that he's referring to. It's not. And John says that in that next section. He was speaking in 21. He was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. So when he raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. And so he's always pointing towards his death, burial, and resurrection. He's trying to get the religious leaders to think. He's trying to get them to see what's happening. Jesus is offering them a new way of doing things, and they need to accept it. But for them to accept it, they're going to have to get rid of some stuff. They're going to have to declutter their environment. They're going to have to move things out of the way. And as we bring this to a close, I want to use this as a metaphor for your life and our church. We can get busy inside of our lives, and we get dis covered up with stuff. 
And what we know God wants us to do becomes distorted, and that's what the evil one loves to do. He loves to distort things, and he wants to distort your priorities, and he wants you to think that everything is important when really one thing is important. So he wants you to be consumed with all of these things. The next thing you know, your vision for your life and what God has done in your life is distorted. You just don't see it. And then you become deceived, and you start thinking of poorly about decisions that you're making, and you've been distorted, and then you're deceived, and that evil one then loves to destroy and wipe it out. You have to, in your personal life, in the temple of your heart and in your mind, you have to keep the main thing the main thing. You have to fight off everything else. You have to remain focused on what God wants for you. You have an audience of one. That's your audience, and you need to build your life around him. You can only have one priority, one main priority. Only one thing gets to come in first place. You have to keep it there, and that is your walk with the Lord. You've got to keep that there. If you don't, all of a sudden, everything else becomes important, and they're all important, but it has to funnel through the main thing. For those in the temple days with Jesus, it was important to come to the church. It was the temple, rather. It was important to all this. But all of these other things just filled the space and cluttered it up, and it ruined what God had intended. And I think God, using this as a metaphor, has that same idea for your heart, your soul, and your mind. But you can get it filled up with all kinds of clutter, negative thoughts about you and your past, carrying grief and anger and bitterness all inside of you. And it just gets all jumbled up inside of your mind. And you can't see what God is doing inside of your life and what God wants to do with you into the future because all you're doing is staring at the past and what hurt, what made you mad and those scars. That's all you can see when God says, I want to put all that in the right spot and I want you to focus on me. I want you to spend time with me in the word. I want you to spend time at prayer. I want you to spend time serving. I want you to have your world revolve around me and you'll be surprised that when you do that, everything finds its place and it starts to make sense. And so that distortion leads to deception, which eventually leads to your destruction. And so how do you fight that? Remain focused on the things that God has called you for. Remain focused on the things that God is driving inside of your life. And then be faithful to those things. Don't get, don't get distracted like you are right now with my good friends coming up. Remain focused on those things, faithful to those things, and you'll watch. God will bless you for that. And it works in the life of our church as well. I was watching a show called The Last Seven Days. Seven Days. It follows different organizations as they get ready for a big event. And there was one restaurant. It's in New York City. It's called Eleven Madison. And it was given the wonderful marquee as being the best restaurant in the world. They obviously did not look at Chick-fil-A. Can I get an amen? <laughs> they didn't consider Whataburger one time, right? Okay, so it's called the most... This, it was the, mo the finest restaurant in the world in 2017. The next month after winning that award, they shut the restaurant down and remodeled the whole thing. They gutted it. For like two years, it was closed. And they remodeled everything from floor to ceiling. And it followed the last seven days of this. And they were following the general manager. His name is Andrew Chandler. They're following him through that. They're talking to the chef. They're going through all the details, all of the china and how the china is going to be set down, where the, the, the silverware, the flatware is going to go on the plates, the, the cushions. He was throwing away cushions. He says, this one's too rough. Get rid of that. We need a softer cushion. It's a cushion, man. He says, yes, but it has to be a certain kind of cushion. And he was meticulous about 
everything. It was exhausting what he was doing, but everything had to be just perfect. You don't become the finest restaurant in the world by being sloppy. And so he had it all done, and they take him all the way up through opening day, and it was fascinating to watch because there he was, and he's inside of the restaurant. Finally, everybody's filling the place, and he told the cameraman to stop. They focused in on his face. He said to them, listen, in the background, you hear clanging glasses. You hear flatware hitting China. You hear the people's voices. You hear laughter. You hear small conversations. You hear people. And he says, it's very easy as a restaurant to think that it's all about the china, the plates, the dishes, the gold wallpaper, and all the cushions. It's not. Listen, you hear that? People are celebrating anniversaries. People are having birthdays. Old friends are getting together. It's not about the duck. It's not about the menu. It's about creating an environment where people can connect. That's what we do. We create an environment where people can connect. Everything else has to funnel into that. When you think about the life of our church, when you think about your life, it's got to create an environment where you can connect to God. And our church has to create an environment where people can connect to God. That's the most important thing. So when you walk through a children's area, well, they got crackers all over the floor. Man, this place smells like a diaper. This place has got all these. You know what? We're here to help people connect to God. And we work hard not to have a place smell like a diaper. You understand, Rachel does a great job. But that's not the main thing. We're not trying to build a museum. We're trying to create an environment where people can connect to God. Because what's the most important thing? That you love God. Love others and serve. Can you repeat that with me? What's the most important thing? Everything has to pour into that. And if you can build your life around that, then you will have a life that will be blessed. And if it's in the way of that, get rid of it. Have you a garage sale? Get rid of that thinking. They often say, well, I grew up that stinking thinking. Get rid of it. Discard that. Focus on him and what God has done.